so, so, so we're here t- today. I, I feel like today is, is a real milestone in, in a number of different ways. Because um, you know, obviously the, the, the mask mandate in Maryland has been lifted. I, I, yeah, cool. <laughs> and, um, and so this, is, this feels like in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, obviously COVID is still, is still happening. There's still people who are sick and getting sick. There's still people who are dying. And yet in, in a lot of ways, this feels like, like as close as we're going to get at least to kind of the announcement of like the end of the pandemic in America and, and the return to, to more normalcy. And so the, like this, it's a celebration today. You know, it, it, in a lot of ways, like this is the Sunday that like I've been looking forward to <laughs> since, since March last year. And it's so great that we could have the one day conference band leading us in these celebration songs that, you know, God turns graves into gardens that, um, that, that he's made us alive, and so like we're here to celebrate that. Uh, and also, so as uh, as Joey and Elizabeth uh, announced at the the beginning today, this Sunday is sort of a special Sunday, a little bit different, as you've seen, because yesterday was the the one day conference. We called it this year the one day conference for our students and parents joining together with a couple other churches uh, to to lift high Jesus to see him clearly and be changed by an encounter with him. And it was a really great day yesterday. And that video that, that we just showed was the video that we showed, that showed to kick off the conference yesterday because we realized in planning this and being able to schedule the conference when we were able to schedule it. And, you know, normally it's a whole weekend overnight conference. It was kind of boiled down to, to one day this, this year. Um, but we realized in the planning of it that, that our youth conferences that we do every year have kind of bookended this whole crazy year. Because last year, the 2020 conference, uh, which was the, the first weekend in March, we gathered and we celebrated. And then that Friday, the world ended. <laughs> like that Friday, everything, everything shut down. So it was like the last time like lots of us saw each other for like months and months and months. And then here we were now 14 months later, 14, yeah, 14 months later on what feels like, Lord willing, please let it be, the tail end, the tail end of this, the end of this coming out. And so what we did yesterday is we, we just said, okay, these, this 14 months, this, this whole year, this crazy topsy-turvy year, we believe was not wasted. And there are, some, there, there are some things that we have learned this year, some lessons that we have learned about ourselves, about our need for community, about the God who never, ever leaves us. And so that, that was the focus of the, of the conference yesterday. And then we decided, well, hey, the band can be here this morning. Let's just have one day, day two. <laughs> and so, so this is really everyone now invited into the, 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 last, the last session of the One Day Conference uh, as, we, as, as we look again to see who this God is, what he calls us to do as we go forward out of, out of COVID, what, what, that's gonna, what that should look like. And so um, before, before we dive into, into the text I, I, I want to look at, though, I, I want to kind of pause and do a little parentheses here, because, because here, here at church, because this is, this is you know, our first, first Sunday now, you know, uh, masks optional and stuff, and so, you know, returning to normalcy, th- there are a couple things, um, a couple categories of, of people um, that I actually wanted to, like, 
thank and honor and, and celebrate um, from looking back on, on this past year. Because this, this has been a rough year. And there, in so many ways, this, this year ha- has, you know, the increased difficulties that it's so easy in how we're all, we're all trying to navigate COVID to view things differently and talk past each other and stuff. But in the church, in the church, we have an opportunity to, even if we see things differently, to, to obey Scripture's commands, to, to honor one another above ourselves, and to, to outdo one another in showing honor. So there's a couple categories of people that, that I want to honor here at what is hopefully, Lord willing, the, the, end, the end of this. And we look, look back over the last 14 months. I have four categories of, of people. The first category that I just want to, like, from the pulpit, honor and celebrate and affirm is the, 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 those of you who have, over the past year, demonstrated for the rest of us a courageous commitment to fellowship. Um, th- th- this is a, a, a category of you know. So we opened back up in, in June, and so you know, a, a lot of a lot of us, for many reasons, were still having to be on live stream, and some of you still today are still on you know on the live stream for various reasons. But there have been those of you who have led the way for us with a courageous commitment to fellowship. Uh, you know, weighing the risk and be like, you know what, to be with God's people. Is such a priority, and you, you, you have demonstrated that, and not just in that, that commitment, but then also in, that, in the way that you have served the last year. Uh, you know, over the last, the last year of being kind of partially online, partially here, here on Sundays, we've been functioning kind of like a small church with like all hands on deck, and so, and so, so many of you have have served and have sacrificed, like make Sundays happen week in and week out, like the worship team and the production team, and our, our dedicated kind of stripped-down Grace Kids teachers, and, uh, and, and those who were like, you know, every week, like, setting up chairs outside. Remember, like, last summer, setting up chairs out in the parking lot or, or you know, setting up the tent. Week after week after week, there are those of you who have demonstrated this courageous commitment to fellowship, and we're thankful for that. And so, so could we just all, as an just an expression of our thankfulness. These people are thankfulness to God. Can, can we just honor them by our applause here for a minute? Thank you. And now there's another category. There's another category, and in our divided world, this might seem like the other end of the spectrum, but this other category is really just, I think, another expression of gospel faithfulness. Many of you and many of you maybe even still on the live stream today have committed this past year to sacrificing so much for the vulnerable around you. Like, and what a picture of the gospel that so many of you in many different ways have like laid down your lives, like literally like pressed pause on your life for the last year to protect 
elderly parents, to protect, to protect vulnerable kids, to protect, you know, immunocompromised people, you know, at-risk populations that you work with, or just simply like being like, I'm going to do my part to stop the spread or whatever, that so many of you have sacrificed so much, and what a picture of grace, what a picture of the gospel to see how you, so many of you have laid down your lives for the good of others. Can we thank those people too? And the, the, the third category I think of, this is probably not one to like honor with applause, but just to, to acknowledge and say that we love you. There, there are many here who have lost, who have experienced loss this year. Um, some, some with COVID, some have lost friends and family members. But even if it wasn't COVID, COVID has just made everything worse this year with loss and try, navigating funerals. And like, how do you do that? And when you, you, know, you can't see anybody. And, and so... Many of you, like, this has been a year of loss. And, you know, you're here coming out the other side, but it has been a really costly, hard year. And so, like I said, that feels weird to applaud you. (laughs) But let me just say, we see you and we love you. And thank you for your faithfulness. And we thank God for his persevering grace that, that, that here you are now on the other side of this. And then the fourth category is, can I just say like, hey church, we made it. <laughs> like all of us, like pat yourself, on, pat yourself on the back and thank God again for his persevering grace. Here we are on the other side of this. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> so we made it. <laughs> So that's just something I, I really want. That was on my heart to, to say that here at the close of this. So that's kind of now close parentheses and to, to the message. Um, last night at the One Day Conference, uh, our, our third session, uh, we, we looked at this reality that, that we are in Christ never, ever alone. That God, God is, is with us and he has not abandoned us. And in the, the darkest days of lockdown, Jesus was not socially distancing from us. And that he has promises to to meet us in our fear and set us free. And as I think about that, you know, God's promise to, you know, I'll be with you, do not fear. We looked at Isaiah 43, you know, and when you walk through the waters, I'll be, you know, I'll be with you. Uh, it, it brings to mind a, a, another verse, another, you know, f- favorite verse of mine that, that you, you might be familiar with at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus has, has risen from the dead, he has he, he's died for our sins, he has conquered death, and now he's getting ready to ascend back and take his seat on the throne of the universe. And he says to his disciples what, what, what we know as the Great Commission. And remember the, la- the last thing he says to the disciples, I, I am with you always. I'm with you always to the very end of the age, to, to, to the, the last page of the story. I'm with you. And so that's, that's the thread that I want to pick up this morning and look, and look together at the Great Commission, at what Jesus says to us. Uh, and the, the commission that he launches his disciples out into the world on and the commission that he gives to us. If you put your faith in Jesus, he has commissioned you with this 
This same message, this same command that he gave to his disciples all those years ago is what he gives to us. And so it, it feels good to me at sort of as the session four of the one-day conference, at the end of this pandemic, as we resume our lives to say, here is now the mission. And this mission didn't pause over the last year, but this is the mission that Jesus sends us out on. And so the, the, the big idea of this message is, is kind of is, is simple, is is give yourself to the greatest cause in the universe. Give yourself to the greatest cause in the universe. So, so let me start reading. It's the very end of Matthew. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew 28. I'm going to put it up on the screen here. This is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, now, now the 11 disciples, because you know at, at this point Judas is gone. Uh, so the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're going to look at Jesus' commission here. And if you like, taking, if you like note taking, you like alliteration, I'm a pastor, so I can't help it. Uh, the, the, the three things we're going to see in, in Jesus' commission is, is the greatest king, the greatest cause, and the greatest comfort. Yeah. <laughs> you're, yes, you're welcome, Karen. The, great, the, the greatest king, the greatest cause, the greatest comfort. But before we look at the commission, I just want to point out something that's often we often overlook or run past when we talk about you know, Jesus' commission to his disciples. You see this in verse 17, that the disciples, when they gathered there, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Have you ever noticed that before? And on, on first glance, like, it's, it's really surprising uh, because like, think of all, of the, all that the disciples have seen. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his teaching. They saw his death on the cross, and they have seen and touched the risen Christ. They have put their hands into his wounds. They have had breakfast with him. Like they have, and at this point, you know, 1 Corinthians tells us, you know, Jesus has made numerous appearances. He has preached to a crowd of 500 people. He's been with his disciples. And so they're there. They're on their knees. They're worshiping him as Lord and God. But even then, they still have like questions. They're still wondering, like, what does this mean? Like, is this, is this real? Like, what is going on? <laughs> and, you know, I, I, we like to give the disciples a hard time because, you know, if, if you're familiar with the stories of the Gospels from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples are, how shall we put this? Not the sharpest tools in the shed. Not the brightest bulbs in the box. <laughs> we see just again and again, they're kind of clueless bumbling. But there's something about the disciples that, that you might not know. And th this, this was really interesting to me the first time I, I, I heard this uh, 
this. And in doing research, I, I think this, this tracks. Most of them, when you, when you picture the disciples, so like, you know, close your eyes, picture like Jesus and his disciples, probably what you picture is, you know, a bunch of guys in robes and like long Jewish beards, because that's, you know, in all of our movies and like, you know, the passion and the chosen and all, like, it's all, it's all like the long, like the, you know, long beards and then, you know, all, all these, all these men. And you think like, what is wrong with these disciples? <laughs> like, like how long do you think it's going to take them to get it? But what you might not realize is that there are actually some good reasons to think that most of these disciples were not men, but teenagers. The disciples were probably teenagers. And, and we can, there's some clues, some, some context, we can gather some things, uh, you know, some things to, to, to know about how, uh, how life and society worked back then, which lead us to, to think this. Like, so, for, for example, um, scholar Ray Vanderlaan, 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 he, he, he writes this. He says, what we learn of the ancient Jewish education traditions is that scripture study begins at age five, Mishnah study, which is sort of the you know, exposition of the Old Testament, study starts at age 10, Torah obligations at age 13, and continued rabbinical study at age 15 if they were chosen to be tutored by a formal teacher, or if they weren't, then they were apprenticed to a trade. They'd be married at age 18, and their formal teaching would begin around age 30. That would be the, the typical progress of education for young Jewish men in first century Israel. And now we know that Jesus likes nothing better than scrambling expectations and traditions and doing things his way. And so it, this doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus did it this way, but Jesus began his formal teaching as a rabbi at around age 30 which is typical. And so a rabbi beginning their teaching would go and select students. And now a, a normal rabbi would go and, you know, go to the best synagogue schools and select the best and the brightest to be his pupils. And this is where Jesus flips all their expectations. He goes to the docks and chooses a bunch of numbskulls to follow him. <laughs> and yet, typically, that would be high schoolers that the rabbi would go and pick to choose to follow. This is kind of the first century version of high school, is if you make the cut, a rabbi invites you to come and join him and learn from him. And if not, you go and you're apprenticed to a trade. And so sure enough, we find the, all the disciples at their trades. Um, but if you ever noticed, they're not very good at it. They're not very good at their trades. Peter can't catch any fish to save his life. <laughs> and so, like, could it be like, they were just apprentices. They were just starting out. <laughs> and, uh, and, and even more, just another little, you know, another little detail. Notice that it says typically Jewish men would get married around the age of 18. As far as we can tell, Peter was the only one of the disciples who was married. So Peter is probably the oldest, um, which, which kind of makes sense that he was sort of the, the, the leader among the disciples. Um, but if he's the only one that's married, there's some good reason to think that all the rest of them, again, we're teenagers. We're high schoolers. And one, one, little, one, one other little detail, just kind of trying to build, build a case for this because it scrambles our expectations a little bit. This is another, another little detail. In, in Matthew 17, there's this little, this little story about how, um, how Peter had to pay the temple tax and he didn't have any money, and so Jesus tells him, like, go, go catch a fish. 
Peter was actually able to catch a fish this time. He goes and catches a fish, and there's like money in the, in the fish to pay for, for himself and Jesus, the temple tax. Well, actually, did you know that, that uh, in the Old Testament law, the only people who had to pay the temple tax were men over the age of 20? And so, again, I don't know if all the other disciples, they, they had their change in their pockets. They were able to pay it too. But it's just interesting that Peter comes to him like, I don't have money for the temple tax, and Jesus provides money just for him and Peter. Probably because they were the only ones who had to pay. <laughs> all the other ones were kids. All the, other, all the other disciples were minors, and they didn't have to pay that, that tax. And so just the, these, these little threads, these little, little pictures sort of scramble our understanding of the disciples a little bit, that they weren't these... That they weren't men, you know, established in their in their lives. These were teenagers, probably just starting out, just you know, starting out trying to learn how to fish. And along comes Jesus, and says to these guys who have flunked out, they didn't get chosen by any other rabbi. He says, "You follow me." Puts the bumbling disciples in a little bit of a different light, doesn't it? They're bumbling teenagers. No, no, no offense, students, but <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe, students, maybe you can relate now <laughs> to, to these disciples who had no clue what they were doing and got it wrong again and again and again. And no matter how many times the teacher told them, they still didn't get it. So, sorry, students, these guys are just like you. <laughs> the Great Commission in a little bit of a different light. That Jesus was not giving this commission to a bunch of you know, professional Christians, pastors, leaders, whatever. This is he had a bunch of high schoolers. He's like, hey guys, go. So the Great Commission, again, addressed to all disciples of Jesus, but spoke in that first great commission to teens, to students. And so for this student conference, our session four of the one-day conference, students, Jesus is talking to you here. And what he says to you, what he says to us, all of us, those three things, I, I am the greatest king. This is the greatest cause and my promise to you is the greatest comfort. So let, let's, let's look at these things. So Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All, all authority. That means, means all power, all glory, all leadership, everything. I have won. I have conquered. It all belongs to me now. Quite a statement. And it's true. Jesus, at this point, has accomplished everything that he came to earth to do. And just weeks before this, he decisively defeated sin and death and hell. Satan's head trodden into the dirt, sins forgiven, captives released, raised to life. Hell's, hell's gates blown wide open from the inside out. Jesus kicks out death's teeth, marches out of the graveyard, and says, it's all mine now. 
It reminds me of what, what he says later. He says to John, years and years later, when he appears to John again, he says in Revelation 1.17, he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. This is the songs we were singing about. He turns graves into gardens, starting with his own. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. What does that mean to have the keys of death and Hades? Well, when you go buy a car, you sign all the paperwork, you give them all the money, and they hand you the keys. That means it's your car now. Jesus is like, I, I have confiscated death and hell from the enemy. It belongs to me now. I won. Uh, Brandon, Brandon Meeks, who's a, a, a pastor, he, he wrote this. I just, I just love this quote. He says, death was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. The culprit even took his house keys. <laughs> this is Easter. This is the triumph that Jesus has accomplished. It says all, all authority. Satan's got nothing left. Death has nothing left. It's all, it all belongs to me. And, which, is, which is remarkable, because you remember at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was tempted in the wilderness, remember Satan comes to him and tries desperately time and time again to divert Jesus from the path of the cross. Basically, that's what all the temptations boil down to, is Jesus, do it the easy way, please. You know, use your power for, for yourself. Do a big spectacle to get people to notice you. And, and, and Satan says, shows them all the kingdoms of the world, all their authority and glory. And Satan's like, I'll give it to you. To take it. Like, that's what you're here for, right? <laughs> and it is. This is what Jesus is here for. And Satan's like, I'll, I'll give it to you. Just, just bow down to me. Like, whatever you do, Jesus, don't go to the cross. Don't take these back by, by blood and power and resurrection life. Just, I'll just give it to you. Can we just do it that way? Because that is exactly what Jesus came. He, he came to take back all of the kingdoms and their glory and their authority. And now here at the end of his ministry, he has accomplished that. He has confiscated them out of Satan's hands. And so now... Jesus announcing to his disciples and ascending to the throne, sitting down on the throne of the universe. You know, the book of Hebrews says, you know, he sat down because he's done. It's like, you know, the ascension is Jesus sitting down on the throne, kicking his feet up. The, the throne of heaven is a lazy boy recliner because Jesus is done. He's won. And now as as theologian Abraham Kuyper said, and I love this quote, he says, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch, Jesus says, mine. Every moment of your life, every day, every person, every place, every star in the sky, every square inch of this entire universe, the risen Christ says, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. I have won, I have conquered, I have bought it all back. It all belongs to me now. This is what Jesus announces to those teenagers on that mountain. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. I am the greatest king. 
And flowing out of that remarkable declaration is a simple word. We often gloss over these words in our Bible. The word, therefore. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The greatest cause flows out of the fact that Jesus is the greatest king. Because, you know, when, when you see a, a therefore, my, my Bible professor, he always said, when, when you see a therefore, ask, what's it there for? <laughs> yeah, but I'm <laughs> Because therefore, it, it means like because of this. Je- Jesus is given a reason here. He's saying, I have all authority, and so because of that, Go. Jesus' universal kingship is what propels the universal mission of the church. Go make disciples of all nations. Every nation. There is not a person on planet earth that you can go to and say, Jesus is king and savior and invites you to follow him, where that's not true. Because he's king everywhere. And he's savior everywhere. And so you can, you can go to your neighbors, and you can go to the nations, you can go to the deepest, darkest jungle, and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, follow him. This, this is the greatest cause. The greatest cause in the universe is to represent the greatest king. You know, we, 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 like, we, we like representing things, don't we? Like, we, we wear, you know, wear, like, Ravens jerseys. You know, we like our sports teams. You know, wear, wear your, your hat from work. Here we all are all repping the, the one-day T-shirts. You know, we, we really, like, there's something deep in human nature that really likes to do this, that, that likes to point to a cause. This is the greatest cause. Students. This is the greatest cause. This is what life is for. What life is for, the reason you exist in this universe owned by King Jesus is so that you could represent the greatest king. In your conversations with your friends, at school, with your families, neighbors, workplaces, and the nations to represent this king in the things you say, in the way that you follow him, and in the invitation that you extend to others. Come into this kingdom. Know this Savior. This is what life is for. And again, just to to point this out again, this commission is not for professional Christians. This is not just reserved for the pastors and the missionaries. He's talking to teenagers. And he says to them that the commission that he gives is go and make disciples. Make disciples. And that word word disciple just simply means student. Uh, That's the the Latin word discipulus, just student. Uh, And so we have sort of religiousified, Christianized that word disciple. Just means student. So he goes, go make students. He's like, he says to students, hey, students, go make more students of all nations. To every nation, go and make more students. Because really, being a student is not just something for young people. 
In fact, we're all students. We're all students of what we love. Think about this. this we're all students of, of, of what we love. The, the thing that you're passionate about, your hobby, you know, your, your side hustle, whatever, you, like, you know things about that. Whether it's, like, whether it's Pokemon cards. <laughs> when, I, when I was in sixth grade, I knew everything about Pokemon cards. <laughs> Or, or you know, whether it's 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 your hobby. I really love photography, and so like I'm so like I, I like watch photography videos of like settings on the camera. Like how lame is that? But <laughs> but that's that you're a student of what you love, and you never stop being a student. So like students, right right now, like the kind of the bummer is that you also have to be a student of like math. Sorry. Where, where's, where's my sister, the math teacher? <laughs> she rises in protest. Sorry, Miranda. <laughs> so like right now you have to be a student of math, but you're always going to be a student. You're going to be a student of what you love. And Psalm 111.2 says it this way. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. You're a student of what you love, so be a student of the greatest works and the greatest news, and the greatest king. And go make more students. So the Great Commission, it has a claim on every follower of Jesus. Again, so if you're an older person, like you're, you're not left out of this. If you're 80, he has commissioned you. You are a student commanded to go make students. But again, just seeing that Jesus addresses this to teenagers, to really, it, it really it changes the, the emphasis. It hits me in a different way. Because you know, Jesus called me to ministry when I was 14. It's when I first heard the call in my life. Jesus saying, I want you to do this. 14. What is that, like ninth grade, eighth grade? So I, I, I like to do something here. If you are 20 years old or, or less, I'd like you to stand up. And I don't know, I mean, maybe if you like just, just missed the cut, like 21, like you can stand up too or something. But yeah, like 20 years old, stand up. Okay, so church, look around. And those of you standing, look around. Here, here is, here's the next generation. So I'd like to talk to you students who are standing here for, for a minute. Jesus is calling you. You. He is, he is speaking to you. And, and I, I believe, I, I was praying about this message, and I, I believe I have a word here from the risen Christ. Jesus is calling some of you to the mission field. He, he has a claim on your life. First of all, he has a claim on your life because he's the king and he owns everything. He owns you. But he has a, a call on you. And so, students, young people, hear the voice of Jesus calling to you and saying, go make disciples of all nations. He's calling you, and he's calling you to go. He's calling you to go to your classmates, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighborhood, and some of you, I believe, he's calling to go to the nations. And I believe, I believe that there are people out in the world right now on their way to hell whose lives, the, traje the trajectories of their eternity 
will be interrupted and changed because Jesus lays a claim on some of you in this room today. I believe there will be people in heaven today, one day, because of what Jesus is speaking to some of you in this room now. And so, students, young people, let's, let's be like Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6, God, God says, who, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, here I am, send me. Let's make that our prayer. Here I am, send me. Okay, you can sit down now. <laughs> John Stott, he, he, he writes this. I, I, lo- I love how he, he parses out the Great Commission. He says that Jesus' authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all nations because Jesus is king there. His authority in heaven, I love this. So his authority in earth propels us to all nations. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success because Jesus is alive and reigning to save. And his presence with us leaves us no other choice. What a thought. Because last night, if you're at the One Day Conference, last night as we were looking at Jesus, Jesus promised to be with us. We were kind of looking at his promise in our fears, in that voice of fear, the voice of Jesus saying, oh, I'm with you and I'm bigger than the things you're afraid of. Here, the emphasis is a little different. Because I think what, what John Stott means when he says that Jesus' presence with us leaves us no other choice, here, what I think he means is you want to be with Jesus? This is where Jesus is going. He's going to the nations, He's going to the lost. And so go with Him. And the promise is, as you go out on that mission, you are right in step with the Savior and the King who is rescuing people, and you will never, ever be alone. That's where he's going. Get on board. So this promise really is also an exhortation. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, that on this mission you are never alone. And following Jesus, you are never alone. I think of, of Moses in, in Exodus 33 when uh, the, the people of Israel have sinned and, um, and, God, and God is basically like, I'm done with them. I'm starting over with you, Moses. And Moses pleads, intercedes for, for the people. And, and he, sa- he says this, Moses, this, this, great, this great prayer. He says, God, if your presence will not go with me, don't send us. It's like, I don't want to go unless you go with me, God. And so what Moses was just kind of hoping and praying, God, maybe would you please go with us? We have the promise written in blood. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. To the very end of the age, I'm going with you. And so we can say, so, so what Moses could barely hope for, we can have confidence in that he is going with us so we can go. We can be sent. And on that road of mission, whether it's, whether it's stepping out in faith to talk to your classmates, to, to, to live for Jesus in your school, or whether it's going to some closed country, 
you know, the, the flags here up on, up on the walls. The reason that we have these flags here is, is because this is in our little local expression of the body of Christ. This is where our mission goes. You know, our neighborhoods and, our, and, and the nation here and to the ends of the earth. Some of those countries are harder than others, <laughs> right? But I'm, I forget who said this. This might be D.A. Carson. He, he said, there is no closed country. There's only countries where it's harder to preach your second sermon. <laughs> but students, he's calling you to go to the nations And so whether it's to the nations or whether it's saying something to your friend, there there can be a lot of fear that accompanies that mission. So let's look again at the passage we looked at last last night, students. And in fact, I can have the worship team come forward and maybe hear this promise and now in a different light, in a light not just of the voice of fear that you're wrestling with, but in the call of Jesus telling you to go. And he says, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, student, young person. You're mine. I own you. I have all authority. I bought you with my blood. I love you. I know you by name, inside and out. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. And I will never, ever leave you. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And whatever waves and floods I call you to, whatever oceans I call you to cross, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flame shall not consume you because I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I have all authority in heaven and earth. I am the king of your classmates and I am the king of the nations and I am your savior. And so students, young people, church, this is our mission. This is our mission to go where he sends us, to, to silence the voice of fear. And so whether he's calling you to speak to that person that you know who doesn't know Jesus or whether he lays his claim on you and says, I want you to go wherever I send you. His love goes with us. And on and on and on and on that love goes. As far as you go in the call of God, his love goes further. As far as you have fallen into your mess and your sin, his love goes deeper. And so there is, there's not a person here who is excluded from this. Like, it doesn't matter what mess you have made of your life. In fact, like, look, he picked the disciples. And if, you, and if you have made a mess of your life, Jesus still calls you, go. I'm the king, I'm your savior, Go. So let's stand, and we're, we're going to sing this song. We sang this, we sang this last night, and we're going to sing it again with faith, with confidence that when everything else fails, I have this one thing. This Savior, this King, and His love never fails and never gives up. On and on and on it goes, and His love sends us. So church, let's sing.